Welcome back to the Segmentist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Friday, May 20th. We've just wrapped up a, a pretty exciting week at the Giro. More exciting than I think we were actually expecting. Quite a few interesting sprint stages. Binyam Gurmai finally getting his Grand Tour stage win and then, unfortunately, getting hit in the eye with a cork and leaving the next day. Some pretty narrow close finishes between the breakaway and the sprint trains we're going to talk all about it and then dive into what is coming up this weekend at the giro before we do let's say hello to everybody ronan how are you today i'm good yep just same old and shoddy <laughs> yeah, same old here as well. All good, ticking over nicely. Been ridiculously hot here in France. It's like middle of summer when it should not be the middle of summer. Johnny Long, how are you? I'm well. The shoddy has taken all the good weather, as it is still very much British weather in Britain. You yeah, didn't let me same, same old. Oh, that was a sight. <laughs> same old. Rain, I was going to say. <laughs> you look very festive, though, Johnny, with the with the background that you've got today. You've got some some palms and ferns and things back there. It's looking very good. Uh, before we get into today's show, uh, there's a bit of an announcement that that I am very uh, displeased to have to make. Uh, very unfortunate things have happened here at Cycling Tips in the last week. Uh, some of you might have seen this. There were layoffs uh, at outside our parent company this week. Uh, quite a few folks lost their jobs. And one of those people I am extremely sad to report uh, was our own Dane Cash, who was obviously a huge part of this podcast, a huge part of what we do at Cycling Tips. Um, just a massive hole uh, to fill not just professionally but also a good friend of all of ours and uh yeah he is not he is not with cycling tips anymore uh and so he will not be on this podcast anymore and you won't see his byline on the site anymore and that is a that's a very sad and very unfortunate thing so um I was talking with dane this morning and, and asked whether he wanted to just disappear off into the ether or whether he wanted us to to take this one head on and he preferred the latter so i'm i am that's what i am doing and and uh you know i think a lot of you probably know how to get in touch with dane on the internet and uh a quick note if you've appreciated his time here at the podcast i'm sure would not go uh would not go unnoticed and unappreciated um we're all super super bummed and uh yeah i don't know what else to say about it 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 sucks uh but we're going to try to continue on here. We're going to continue making a podcast, and we will try to do so uh, without without Dane, our our sort of racing linchpin. So let's get into today's episode. So on to the Giro. Like I said, there was lots that happened in the last week, uh, more than we were kind of hoping and expecting. But the GC picture hasn't changed a huge amount. Let's let's just run through kind of exactly where we are at this point. 
on the precipice of what is really going to be the crux of this Jiro, that we are about to head into the most difficult part of this Jiro. Uh, We had a bit of a sort of transition few days here. At the end of that, where do we stand, Johnny, on the GC in Italy? In the GC, we've still got uh, Wampe Lopez of Trek Segafredo hanging on in there. I think today was his ninth day in the pink jersey, and he's been loving every minute of it. Uh, and then after him, it really just we get straight to it with all the all the guys who will actually be battling it out for the uh, for the pink jersey. So I've got Richard Carapaz, uh, twelve seconds off Lopez. So you know the first proper mountain stage, you'd expect the Ecuadorian to jump up um, into the into the top spot, unless you know Joao Almeida is in third and on the same time. Um, he's looking good. He's sort of struggled through the first the first couple of weeks, but he for him he's a guy who can kind of like hang on and and progress into the third week. Um, and then in fourth, Jai Hindley um, at twenty seconds. And then after that, Guillaume Martin Cofidis twenty eight seconds down. Mikel Landa sixth, Bahrain Victorious twenty nine seconds down. And then a twenty five seconds. I just had to do some quick maths there. Um, twenty five seconds further adrift is Domenico Pozzovivo for Intermarche. So it's exciting. Is he is he the highest place layout man in the GC? <laughs> yes. After after Roman Bardet, we'll get to Roman Bardet later. But after Roman Bardet climbed off, he is the highest placed uh, leadout man. Um, so it's all it's all exciting. I was I was talking to someone today and was saying compared to like the tour in the past couple of years where the GC race well tour last year the GC race is kind of over before the race started we have a proper race this year which is exciting yeah, it's still it's still super tight I, I mean like you said you know you look at the top 10 there in 10th is Valverde and he's only a minute 23 down uh, and really we can probably kind of remove Juan P. Lopez from the equation here so that takes 12 seconds out of that, further 12 seconds out of that, so really only about a minute 15 down within the, within the top 10. Uh, that's that's everything to play for at this point. And some some interesting names up there. I mean, I, I'm not sure I would have put money on Pozzovivo still sitting inside the top 10 at this point in this Giro. I mean, the guy's 39 years old. I guess Valverde is even older and is just, just behind him. Uh, Guillaume Martin, you know, coming through with this closer to classic Guillaume Martin first couple of weeks where he loses a bunch of time in places where he probably shouldn't lose a bunch of time and then gains back a bunch of time in places where he probably shouldn't gain back a bunch of time. So it's been an, an interesting first interesting first pile of stages here uh, and sets us up, I think, for a, a fascinating battle over the next couple of days. Certainly does set up a fascinating battle, but I'm sort of skeptical that... Perhaps not on Sunday, but as early as next Tuesday, we could be down to two, possibly even just one main contender. Uh, especially with the loss of Bardet. Now, you know, on, on Sunday stage the Blockhouse, it really was Landa, Carapaz and Bardet who are, you know, a step above the rest. And, you know, everybody else who's just about hanging on there so far have hung on through two GC days and one of which wasn't really the as decisive as it could have been. So we're in a good place. Let's try and be positive, but a, a pinch of salt at the same time is what I'm trying to apply here. I don't know. We've had two, I mean, two serious GC days. Like Etna was, even though they kind of, you know, tip tapped their way up up the climb. Uh, 
but Blockhouse was a serious GC day, and, and all these guys are still relatively close. And so I'm not – I'm hopeful that things don't just start falling apart as soon as we hit the, the higher mountains here. Um, you know, at some point, yes, the, 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 the wheat will be separated from the chafe, right? But the, 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 at some point, that, that has to happen. But I'm not sure it's going to happen, you know, first day up into the mountains the next few days. My, my fear sort of is that although we haven't had as many decisive GC days, we've had an incredibly tough race by the looks of things. And there's been very few, there's been one epically down day where they just took it, couldn't have went any easier. But so many stages that looked on paper like they were going to be straightforward have been, if not, you know, overly technical or anything, but have been highly demanding. Uh, and I, I just think that the accumulative effect there could pay off. And of course, we know that's why Ineos were riding so much as well, just to build up the accumulative fatigue there. So will it pay off in a couple of days' time? No. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think Carapaz is the strongest rider in this race anyway, and so I don't think it I don't think it necessarily matters whether Ineos makes everyone else more tired. Because honestly, what, what will make the rest of the field more tired is not really Ineos going three percent harder all the way up Etna. It's finishes like today on Friday where they almost messed it up and they're chasing like crazy to get the breakaway back at the end. There were a couple quotes that came out after the stage. Riders are like, yeah, we couldn't even like eat and drink in the last hour because it was so fast that we were just like everybody was completely pinned. Today was a day that the GC guys were probably hoping to just kind of spin the legs out and they didn't today. That last hour, particularly if you're a tiny little climber type, that last hour was rough today. I should say today is Friday, the day that we are uh, the day that we're recording this. That's the kind of thing that will add to the sort of cumulative fatigue of of the GC riders. And tomorrow's not a day that can rest either. So it's not as if they can take tomorrow easy for the big hit out on Sunday either, because Sunday's going to be the the shake up where tomorrow is. It, it's it's a, a real interesting little circuit. Should we come to that in a bit? Or should we do that yeah, now? Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get into we're going to get into what's coming up yeah. in a little in a little while. Uh, all right, so we've had sort of a brief a brief GC rundown, kind of where we're sitting right now. Let's get into the last couple days, uh, defined really as expected by both breakaways and sprints. Let's let's sort of pull ourselves all the way back to Yezi uh, and Binyam Binyam Gramai's first Grand Tour stage win which is also the first grand tour stage win for a black african a a a just massive massive moment an emotional moment you know i think everybody felt it even matthew vanderpool who came in second and and watched him cross the line even he kind of felt the gravity of it all stuck his thumb up in the air he gave him a big thumbs up sort of crossing the line like kudos to you i could do no more uh but the sprint itself was really fascinating Johnny, you kind of broke it down in a piece that was on the site. We don't need to go through all of it all over again, but the the, the Pazza Vivo as uh, as leadout man jokes and the Bardet as leadout man jokes at the beginning of this episode. That's what we we're referring to. It was a really fascinating finish. It was also like you you go back a year when uh, Taco van der Horn won the singular stage for Intermarche at the at the Giro, and everyone kind of sat back and was like, they've actually turned up and done something rather than just making up numbers. And in that finishing group they had the most riders out of anyone so they've really turned it around and then 
you know, the lead out was, it was bizarre. It was like very intermarché, if that makes sense. And then once Germain was was unleashed, this the, he just, it, it was, it was it like, of all the sprints so far this Giro, it was like sort of the most like, like take your take, not take your breath away because this isn't like that's that's hyperbole but it was like it was so strong and like you could see in his face how much he wanted it and then the celebration was was class as well it was you know it really fitted the the moment if that makes sense yeah the sprint was really long I mean I, mean, I got two thirds of the way through it and I was like he's gonna get swamped like Vanderpool's gonna come around him he, he went a little bit too early and it felt to me like without the gravity of that moment sort of pushing him along he might have actually lost that sprint but essentially sitting up was not an option like like breaking was not an option at that point in time and you could almost see that in his face and the way that he came across the line it was just it was an awesome moment i like it when van der Poel, like literally runs out like you see a few times in flanders against Askreen, like other guys when they're beaten they kind of still maybe like go and like make a show of it but like when van der Poel, like is done he is done <laughs> it's great. Like he's so. It's always oh, everything, isn't it? Physically for him. Maybe it, it, it kind of returns to our discussion of falling down after the finish line. Uh, kind of a similar, a similar, similar vibe uh, out of that. Anyway, let's let's sort of beyond the sprint itself. Uh, everyone will have heard about this already. One of the most unfortunate things to happen at the Giro in recent memory, I think. Um, Binyam Gurai was on the podium and picked up the the podium not champagne not champagne sparkling was a prosecco or something like that uh it's not for, not from the champagne region and so therefore is not champagne as some people have told us on the internet uh yes we know uh <laughs> I, I did not know i did not even care it wasn't belgian beer so i do not care <laughs> uh this was just sparkling hospitalization uh so he picked up the the Prosecco, the the bubbly, we'll call it. Um, And apparently, apparently, the Giro has been loosening the corks on these things. This is this is what we've been hearing. Uh, And it shot off and hit him in the eye, and he couldn't see out of that eye. And he actually he skipped the press conference and went straight to the hospital, and didn't start the next day. So the 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 podium bubbly knocked. Binyam Gramai out of the race. And this is the second time this has happened at this Giro d'Italia because Matthew Vanderpool had the same thing happen, except it just hit him in the hat in his hat, I think. But could have had the same thing. Yeah, with Vanderpool, it was it, it, um he, he came into the, the press conference after and someone asked him about it because it, it like ricocheted off his hat and he was like he was actually quite annoyed about it. I think he sort of realized that a Gourmet situation could happen. He was like, Yeah, they need to like I don't know why they loosened it because like I'm Matthew Vanderpool, I can uncork her. A Prosecco bottle. I've I've done it a lot. Um, so he was, yeah. And and but you see a lot of the riders. I think because they're such big bottles. James Knox told Velo News they can weigh like eight kilograms. So and a lot of these guys are small. So they they don't like often to open them. They're not picking them up. They're like leaning over and then it will cut. Like it will just you know. It's it's only bike racing would have this sort of conundrum. If if you if you want to know how volatile champagne can be. Oddly enough, there's a really good podcast that was only published, I think, about a week ago on Stuff You Should Know. Um, really good podcast. And they, they go into depth in how, yeah, dangerous champagne can be 
champagne or prosecco, whatever you want to call it, can be when it's not stored right. And I'm guessing this champagne hasn't been stored right in between races. Because, yeah. It's been sitting in the back of a truck. Yeah. Bounced around. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not been stored right. Well, so then we noticed something interesting the next day, uh, which was that the corks were gone. Screw tops. (laughs) Yeah. I seem to remember at least a few occasions where we've seen the rider on the podium like taking forever to open the bottle and just like it gets to the point where it's really really awkward when's this gonna pop when's it gonna go so maybe that's where the Giro had started loosening them just to speed up Probably. the process but they sped it up a little bit too much yeah well but the other thing is is as we found out right afterward is you you can just take it out entirely and the rider can just stick their thumb over the top and shake the thing and you get the exact same end result you still get the photo of the not champagne bubbly flying out of the giant bottle with the rider and the pink confetti and all the rest like you still get the same thing without the danger of the cork i don't get why this is the one thing that like the giro thought we need to make sure this happens right on time because the nice thing about the giro is that it sort of is on its own time schedule at all times apart from when the riders are going at like 48 kilometers an hour and arriving 45 minutes early but everything there is like yeah well you know we have rules and things happen but it's all fine and then this is the one thing they're like we mustn't wait waste more than five seconds of them spraying champagne it's bizarre we cannot delay the opening of the Prosecco a moment longer than necessary. Yeah, it's it's a very un-Italian thing, I feel like. Anyway, we, we joke about it, but it's it's genuinely it's it's real it's like it's it's sad. I mean, one, Germay probably would have won more stages. Like there there's we're gonna talk about some of the, the stages coming up here in a bit, but like there's a couple stages over the next couple of days that he would be be pretty well suited for. He also really wanted to win the Ciclamino jersey, the, the the sprinters points jersey, and with uh, most of the sprinters pl- either planning to drop out or already have, um, we'll talk about that again in a little bit. Uh, his chances of of taking that jersey in his first ever Grand Tour, I think, were were really quite high, and so it's super unfortunate. It does sound like there's no permanent damage. I think that that has been if not confirmed then that that at least appears to be what the team is telling us at the moment but still it's just yeah it kind of sucks I, I mean my hope is that okay he's he's out of the giro he's out of the giro early you know intermarche does have uh an invite to the tour de france this year maybe we see him at the tour this year uh Maybe that wasn't originally on the cards if he, if he was going to do the entire year. I, I, I can't recall seeing anything about his, his schedule for this summer. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but maybe he's on the, on the Tour de France program now. I, I think they've said that their plan is still to not take him to the Tour, but, I mean, he's so good and he's like clearly hitting, you know, he's clearly out there. He can beat Vanderpoel in these sorts of sprints, so why wouldn't you take him? You know, you never know how long I mean, a career is going to last. You never know what's around the corner. He's a legitimate green jersey contender in year one. Like, why wouldn't you take him? If 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 I'm if I'm Intermarche Wanty Group Gobert Materio guy Materio, sorry. Uh, if I am Mister Materio, then I am I am like absolutely bring this dude. He's going to bring more press to this team over the course of those three weeks than the entire rest of the team has for the last like four years. So do it, like bring him to the bike race. I, I think that he's, he clears, he's clearly physically ready. Right. And I don't really see any, any purpose or reason in, in 
holding him back from that, to be perfectly honest. If he wins the Tour de France stage, the amount of wrenches and grouting that Wanty or whoever will sell to Eritrean fans will just, it'll be crazy. They're going to have to like create a new warehouse in Eritrea. It's going to be a whole, a whole thing. A whole thing. <laughs> anyway, moving on from Gurmai, we love seeing that. But he was not the only person who won a bike race this, this week. Stage 11. Let me pull it up. Stage 11 into Reggio Emilia was won by a, a, a somewhat surprising sprinter, actually. Alberto Dainese, who came out of absolutely nowhere from Team DSM. He's generally a lead-out for Case Bowl. Uh, pipped Fernando Gaviria right at the line. Most of the sort of main sprinters had issues coming into that finale. There's a pretty kind of gnarly left-hand turn, not too far from the finish line. So we ended up with you know Mark Cavendish back in sixth, Ewan in fifth, Damar in fourth, and Dainese, who looked like he was going a couple kilometers per hour faster than everybody else in the front of that race, crossed the line first for his his first Grand Tour stage win. It was a serious impress, impressive win from a guy who I'm guessing a lot of people were like, who? Because he has won Grand Tour stages before. He's won two out of Welter. Was it last year? Am I right in saying two, two out of last year's Welter? But beyond that, it's like he's he's not a big... I'd, I'd, I'm going to go out and say he's not a big name at all. It surprised me that he was he was up there. I think second at a stage of Welter was his best, was it? Yeah, he got second and two third places last year. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he clearly had it last year and then it all just came right. The, the, the best thing was seeing Fernando Gaviria's face as he like wished past. Like Gaviria finally was like, I've cracked it. I've done, I've done them all. I've done Ewan, I've done Demar, I've done Cavendish. I've got it. And then this Italian guy just, just pips him. It was, you know, you felt, I felt sorry. Felt really sorry for him. Pops out of nowhere. Yeah. It was it was how far back he came from in the closing meters of you know of the sprint. He was, you know, he was. Uh, <laughs> I can't really say second or third line because you know where it is in a sprint. But there there was he was definitely a good five or six places back, and you know you weren't really looking at him on screen because he he was so far back. But when you see the replay and you see just the speed that he comes with. And, you know, the, I think there's a lot of luck involved there and just that he, he got out when he did, the timing worked out. He just about got the Gaviria as the line was approaching. But, you know, it was just an, an insane sprint when, you know, when you see it all, it, it worked out for him and he had the legs to, to pull that off. He, he was only told, like, I don't know if it was the final kilometre, but it's the final few that Case Bar was like, I, I can't do it today, you go for it. So do, do you think that helps, like, not sitting there all day, like, worrying about... You know, I've got, I've got to be in the bunch sprint. I've got to win. Like he's just told, and then he's got to, he's got to get up there. And it's kind of like you can't, you can't lose because you've been told so late, so nothing's expected of you. Do you think that? Do you think that sort of gives you, a, it frees you? Definitely. I think you've not got, you're not got the pressure of it on your shoulders for the preceding 200 kilometers or whatever it was for that stage, weighing you down, thinking the team's working for you for starters. And then yeah, it's literally that, that kilometer of like. <laughs> I've got nothing to lose here and everything to win. In in my head, that makes sense. And I know I would prefer to find out with a kilometre to go, but these sprinters are like, they they thrive off, not ego, but, you know, they, they, you tell a sprinter it's his day today, he's getting excited. He's not getting nervous more more often than not. Um, Let's talk about some of the other sprinters that that Danese overhauled. 
in that particular sprint. Uh, Caleb Ewan is now out of the Giro, leaves the Giro winless after a, what what looked like a promising start up until about 50 meters from the first finish line and then just kind of never really returned and that i mean that team that team does not appear to be in a good place uh mentally at this point in time uh, it, it it there's there's been some strange things over the last couple of weeks i mean not least of which is the sort of relegation fight that we've talked about a couple different times lotto is really struggling on that front they're well behind. They needed some 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 stuff out of Caleb Ewan from this Giro, but it's it's manifested itself in in strange ways. Like the other day when when Ewan got dropped with like eighty k to go, and nobody goes back with him. That I found that I found that really very odd because there's there's still plenty of riders in in on that team who are not there to win bike races, who are there to help Caleb Ewan get to finish lines. And you know if he got dropped, you normally. If a sprinter gets dropped, they still get a team around them to make sure they get to the finish line without expending too much energy. That must have been just a massive mental blow for Caleb Ewan as much as anything to, to, to watch his team just ride up the road away from him and not look forward to the additional sprint stages that were coming up and try to save his legs for those. It was just a very – it was a very strange moment and that team feels like it's a very weird place – they're losing some sort of key backroom staff at the moment. It's it's a it's a yeah it's a bad place for that that team at the moment. It's a, it's a team that I feel hasn't really found its feet properly or returned to the glory days of uh, what is it three seasons ago when they had the big clear out of like you say backroom staff. They had that the general manager was replaced by somebody who had previously been a. Uh, an agent for riders and there was a lot of bad blood within the team for sort of half a season three quarters of a season until things then reverted back to kind of how they used to be because prior to that and I'm yeah I think it was like two three seasons ago they were doing pretty good and then it all got shaken up things didn't go good and then it's it's not it's just not picked up since then they've not been what they were before like twenty, like the, the twenty eighteen days, twenty twenty seventeen days, something like that. That's at least how I feel about the team. Johnny and I were chatting about this a couple of days ago, and they've got. I think they've got a real catch twenty two with Caleb Ewan, and that with the sprinter as good as he is, you have to support him in the biggest races, and you have to send him to the biggest races. But when he crashed out of the tour last year, Lotto, I can't, I, I can't remember exactly now but Lotto got more points out of one stage of the Tour de Wallonie last year than he did out of the entire Tour de France once they'd lost Caleb Ewan and had it not been for Thomas de Gens one here in the Giro the same thing could be happening again and that's partially why they're in this scenario of course the flip side is Ewan wins a couple of stages and wins a green jersey <laughs> you know you're raking in the points so you know it's not only unfortunate for well, you are and you are I mean the, 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 yeah. the point system and, and at some point we should do like a, a, a deeper dive on this but today is not the day the point system is really poorly constructed um, not, not least of which because essentially only 10 riders from a given team get to score points so like Johnny, you wrote in your piece, I think it was last week or early this week, that Degens' win only netted them, netted them five points. 
Like it was worth 100 points, but it bumped somebody else off. And so they only got five points. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it was um, their 10th ranked rider before Thomas de Gent's win was Florian Vermeersch, who had 100 points so far this season. No, 95 points this season. Thomas de Gent gets 100 points for his stage win. So then he replaces Vermeersch in the rankings. So then it only nets them five points, which is doesn't really help. Not, not to get sucked into this rabbit hole too much, but just to give you an idea that I think sums it up fairly well. You could be fifth on a stage of the Tour de France, which is a highly prestigious result, and get five points. Or you could get double that, 10 points, for finishing 60th on GC in the Tour de France. Now, I, I looked up who was 60th in GC last year, and it was Theo Gegenhardt. And I guarantee you he has no idea he finished 60th or got 10 points for I finishing mean, 60th j- at the Tour de France. Know, we, we have the Mayo Sabla at the, at the Tour de France every year, right? Which is the closest to an hour behind. And that is usually somewhere around 20th, like 15th to 20th. I think it was, yeah. So it, it's that's an hour behind is inside usually the top 20, 25. And 60th gets more points than fifth place in a stage. The whole thing is just... You know, you've got you've got Arkea Samsic picking up like 450 points at Trobro Leon. Meanwhile, Lada Sudal can't get any points at at the Giro. Like the whole thing is just it's really it's really messy. Uh, again, let's let's I'm going to cut it off there. We're not going to go any further into that particular rabbit hole, but we will talk about it more throughout the season. The other sort of point about Lotto that I think is worth mentioning, and Johnny, you mentioned this in your piece, is that there have a real sponsorship problem at the moment because. Belgium just passed a law banning uh, gambling sponsors, basically, uh, and Sudal is going over to Patrick Lefevre and Quickstep. So, that, like, uh, I mean, the team is on the precipice. It, it is, it is on the edge of of like potential collapse. I think at this point, uh, particularly if they lose that guaranteed access to the Tour de France that World Tour status gives them, like that's going to make it really, really hard to pull in new sponsors. This is bananas because this team's been around since like the mid-80s. 1985, Lotto started sponsoring this team. They were like a Kermes team back then, if I remember rightly. So like, and then obviously moved up through the ranks. In fact, they used to have one of the best, like it was like a fluorescent kit at one point. They've got, they've had all the best kits. They've had one that looked like um, an Indian takeaway Entrance door entrance back in about 2000, which was one of the best ones. Um, but yeah, this team's been around. This team's been around since about 1985. Under yeah, a Kermes team had major names on there. For them to not be able to find a sponsor for next year is just well, it'd be a massive loss, not just to the cycling scene, but to Belgium sport as a whole. I would have thought. They, they have got um, a company called Destiny coming in for next year. So there'll be Lotto Destiny, who I think do some sort of financial services or some business that clearly needs some promotion. But it's just all quite tumultuous, which you don't really expect from a team that's just been quite bread and butter, like big sprinter lead out. I don't ever remember in the near 20 years I've been in the sport hearing that Lotto as a team were in danger of not having a sponsor. Yeah, it's been super, super consistent. Uh, much more so than than sort of their their nearest competitor, which is Patrick Lefebvre's Quickstep team, right? So, which has been sort of seen its ups and downs, and seen late sponsors come in, and and all sorts of things like that. So, 
Anyway, let's move on from that. There's a couple other quick sprint notes. Uh, Mark Cavendish said he that, that he wants to carry on for two more years, which is good news for fans of Cav. And another point, which maybe we can debate briefly, is that Arno Demar look is looking like the best sprinter in the world right now. It's hard to say. We don't have Fabio Jakobsen. We don't have Dylan Grunewagen at this Giro, but he's looking very impressive here uh, and just took another stage win this morning. Well, Gamay's not there anymore, is he? So we'll give it, we'll give it to the Frenchman. <laughs> Jacopo Guarnieri joked before, before the start, he listed like all of the weights of the team and said, oh, you're definitely going to see us this Giro. And you kind of head into this, maybe there are a few question marks about Demar, like... You know, with people like Cavendish and you and they, you didn't expect him to necessarily come out on top. But he has. And that group, I mean, that group home team at the Tour, Pino said he wants to go for polka dots in a stage win. You've got David Gaudu. How, how fit and Demar in there as well? It's just like they've got, there's a lot going on. But he's proved himself this Giro to probably, well, almost definitely be worth a place. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I think. I think it's it's tricky. We can't really say who's the best sprinter in the world right now, and I think that that generally is, I think is decided at the tour. But we we can absolutely say that he is the best sprinter at the Giro, <laughs> at least at least thus far. So leaving that sort of who's the best topic aside, let's let's dive briefly into what happened this morning on Friday. Uh, the the sprint teams almost messed this one messed, messed this one up. I, I thought it was going to be kind of like stage five where the teams with sprinters who could climb a bit were going to use that early cat three to kind of kind of maybe get Cavendish off the back or something like that. That that that, that didn't really end up happening. Quickstep was was on top of it. Cav was fine, but they did let a breakaway go and gave them almost too much time. I think I think once the teams had decided the sprinters teams had decided they weren't going to try and you know get rid of each other on that early climb, it was a real case of sort of the breakaway had had snookered them or checkmate or whatever you want to call it and that you know the break was allowed some uh space earlier on but only got like three minutes and then on the climb the sprinters teams decided to ride you know a, a steadier pace to keep all the sprinters in the bunch not put them under pressure but the breakaway played it so smart and that they knew that the bunch at that point has to take it easier to protect the sprinters and they upped the pace on the climb and when they came into the bottom of the climb, they had three minutes and 20 seconds. When they crested the climb, they had six minutes and 40 seconds. So they really stressed it out there. And then it was average downhill for a large majority of the remaining part of the stage, which meant that, you know, the breakaway, although there was only four of them left in front, were riding at 50, 55 k an hour. So for the bunch to be taking six minutes out of them was... I was on Zwift earlier, but I had the Giro stage going in the background. And when they crested that claim and I seen they had six minutes 40, I was like, this is going to be really, really close. If these guys have got any horsepower, they're, you know, they're going to be able to hold the bunch off because the bunch can't go 70, 75k an hour for two hours to try and bring them back. It, you know, it was it was going to be so close. And yeah, it proved I, I, to be. it's worth sort of it's worth sort of digging into the physics of this a little bit and the, and the aerodynamics of this a little bit. Right. So, Ronan, explain to me why. If the breakaway is going 35k an hour, and then the peloton can go pretty easily 50-55, but if the breakaway is going 50-55, the breakaway cannot go 70. 
beyond just like they run out of gear. Like there, there's, there's, there's just physics behind this. Yeah, it's. I'm actually. I'd, I'd be hesitant to go into the physics because I'm by no way uh, that scientifically might. Are you, are <laughs> yeah, you not, not a bike rider? Are you not a physicist, Ronan? <laughs> nor, nor an aerodynamicist. Uh, ah. But I actually was uh, ch- talking to. Um, Josh Portner of Silka earlier this week about another subject that I'm working on for an article and this sort of thing came up and he's mentioned it before as well that for every time you double your speed you like quadruple your drag and to overcome that you have to do eight times the power so you know the difference between going 15k an hour and 30k an hour is not that great but if you start going from 30 to 35 it gets harder and from 35 to 40 and then if you have a breakaway doing 50k an hour and the bunch behind has to take six minutes out of them, the bunch has to, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do the maths here. I can't do the maths, but they have to do 60, 65k an hour. And anybody who has ridden a bike that know will know to go from 50k an hour to 60k an hour is a big, big ask. It's not just, you know, it's, it's, it's 10k an hour more, but it's not the same wattage as going from 20k an hour 10k more it's not the same wattage as going from 20k an hour to 30k an hour it's much 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 more than that to overcome the increased drag that you get at higher speeds right and so that's why that downhill run-in was so relevant right and it's why we're looking at that going six minutes is a lot like six minutes if there's a bunch of climbs in the way isn't a lot and in fact i think that the only thing that saved the peloton was the fact that there was a small rise at about 1.7k to go or so and that small rise and the fact that the breakaway started messing around a little bit was was really the only reason, I think, why they, they were able to catch him. There was that small rise, but I think the reason they were able to catch him was, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, was Mirko Maestri, the guy from Yolo Cometa in the front group. And and the reason I'm going to say that, yes, you know, you could say he was fatigued or whatever, or he couldn't come through, whatever, but... He was the then first he did that rider. Attack. Yeah, he was the first rider to stop pulling turns, destroyed the breakaway's cohesion, which led to them getting caught. But then when he when they got caught, within side the final kilometer, he does a most aggressive rider style attack where you know a doomed breakaway, the bunch is on them, and then he launches it at his attack. And his attack was impressive. Like he was able to. You know, he he got. They were just getting caught as he jumped, and he was able to open a gap and sustain it for a you know a longer period. He should have been confident to keep that brake rolling as long as he could, and then bring it down to a sprint. Instead, he 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 destroyed their chances when he had the legs for a stage one. I think it did. He finish at eleventh or something. If he finished, he still finished up there because he got really, caught like two hundred meters to go. I, I really hope not. Uh, and I, I can only imagine what his breakaway companions are thinking tonight. Um, the best thing he could have done when he got to the finish line was keep going, because I guarantee you those other three riders were looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I think think played into hands is that thirty seconds with was it like two and a half k to go, twenty five seconds with two and a half k to go, and it was a lot like the peloton could see them. And one thing that I've I was taught early on with with bike racing is out of sight, out of mind to to a certain degree. And once you can see a rider, it's like yeah, it's that carrot on a stick. Even with that short amount of distance to go, yeah, twenty five seconds. If you can see them, you can get them. And yeah, the peloton there yeah, would have had the bit between the teeth then in that last in the closing kilometers, just that little bit more because yes, you can see them. Uh, just back for a second to what I was, I was uh, talking to 
Josh Portner about, but he sort of reckons that a, a big part of the reason for why breakaways are becoming more successful and, you know, the breakaway today very, very nearly was, uh, hadn't it been for the sort of messing about in the final, they, I think they would have taken it today. He reckons a big part of it is just all the aerodynamic gains that we've seen in recent years. And, you know, although each one of them makes a small difference, when you put them all together and compare it to a bike from 10, 15 years ago and clothing and helmet and all of the gains that they have, it makes a massive difference. And th- thinking about that today, watching the stage, I think if you, no no disrespect to the guys who were in the break, there was a couple of them that looked very clued in, but I think if you swap those riders, maybe keep Vandenberg and and keep uh, the the guy from Jumbo Visma, Enkorn, oh, uh, keep the two of those because they look clued in. But if you add in there Taco Vanderhorn, Jan Willem Van Skip, Dan Bigham, somebody like that, that breakaway goes to the line with a minute. Because, you know, they, they would all, they, there was a couple of riders there who weren't on the most aerodynamic of kit. They weren't in aero bikes and that. And, you know, I just think that slight little change there is, would have made a huge difference today as well. Yeah, it changes the, you know, like the old, the old, oh, the Peloton can pull 10 seconds per kilometer back, right? Like that, that's sort of been the old, forever, that was the assumption. That's not really the assumption. If the breakaway is continuing to go at 48k an hour instead of 44, because they're all on significantly more aerodynamic kit and bikes and positions and all the rest, which like 4k an hour, like that, that's totally feasible just with just with aerodynamics with no increase in power, right? I mean, we know this from switching from road bike to TT bikes. Like it makes a huge difference. So that changes the math, and we've got all these directors in cars who are coming generally we're riding in an era before most of this stuff was was happening there's some exceptions like i saw tj van garter in an ef car today uh he's a young he's still a young guy but most of them are coming from this previous era and they, they probably need to kind of rethink the math there a little bit and and make some different assumptions maybe maybe they can only pull seven or eight seconds back uh per k right like maybe that's all that they can really do if depending again who is up the uh, who is up the road if you've got a bunch of bunch of riders on shallow wheels and baggy kits you could probably not worry about it so much but when you've got these riders who are known to be paying very close attention to their their aerodynamic drag you got to be careful so so what i'm hearing here is uh, a video project so once ronan's back up getting fit again we'll get several different bikes do a 200k stage him out front i'll obviously drive behind so i can keep a steady pace like i give him six minutes i'll drive behind him in the car so i get the exact time and then on each of the bikes over this 200 kilometer distance we can see if i catch him up by the finish (laughs) sounds like a great video so so get get fit ronan yeah it sounds like i'm gonna have like 1400k to ride in one day I think I think that was our nerd nugget section for today. It it it, it rapidly descended into a nerd nugget se- section. There, I think didn't it? I think we can call that we can call that our nerd nugget. We were we were going to briefly talk about how not to wash your bike with Peter Sagan, um, but we did that on the Nerd Alert podcast this week, and so go check that out. Go listen to that. Go subscribe to Nerd Alert if you don't already. It's a great pod. James hosts it, and it's usually Dave Rome and myself and Zach Edwards, who's getting married this weekend. Congrats, Zach. Uh, and we chat about all sorts of nerdy tech stuff. So go listen to that one. Let's let's talk about what's coming up. It's not a huge amount to talk about here because again, we have a we have another episode coming out on Monday. 
So we're just going to talk about Saturday and Sunday here. But they're both pretty interesting stages. Saturday, looking like a breakaway day to me. Kind of the most classic breakaway day. Although, it kind of depends on, I guess, like what Matthew Vanderpoel wants to do. It's a pretty classics-like day. Who wants to talk me through it? So Saturday is stage 14 from Santana to Torino, 147k, which is more manageable than Ronan's 200k. Um, we've got one, two, three, four, five classified climbs, starting with a category three, about 40k in, and then the second half they're all they're all spread out. The category two is spread out on the on the circuit, and then it's a downhill run in from the Col della Maddalena from about. 12k out and then it kicks up again for another descent down so yeah break you look at that and you just see this sort of undulations and you're like breakaway or Machu van der Poel one of those <laughs> one of those two um downhill finish downhill finish which is always interesting well I, I don't know we don't know what the actual last kilometer looks like I don't have that in front of me but it is there they come off of a climb back into the city the, uh, the last kilometre is it's downhill for like 600 metres or 700 metres, then it's flat to the finish line. Um, maybe a tiny bit uphill, but it's hard to see from the the little the little segment. Um, we can see like, be like descending attacks uh, in, that, in yeah. that finale, particularly if it's out of a breakaway or something like that. Should be a really, really good stage. I'm, I'm saying breakaway for it. Uh, what do you guys think? Shortest, uh, just before we get into who who we think there, it's shortest stage of the race as well, um, 147 kilometers with 3,000 meters of climbing packed into that 147k. So um, I, I think, you know, category two climbs there, but it's just the frequency with which they'll be hitting them is going to, uh, and it, it sort of really like a bit of a, uh, Amstel or not Amstel more like Liège probably um, that, that's sort of a stage obviously nowhere near as long but um, I think I think you're going to be looking at the similar similar riders who could be up in those sorts of classics for tomorrow's stage and for that reason I think you know someone like Davide Formolo could be you know a good, good bet for tomorrow um, that, that style of rider I think it it most likely will be a breakaway day with the stages coming following that, I think the GC riders will be saving their legs or at least yeah. hoping to save their legs. They haven't got that opportunity too often this year. <laughs> yeah, the Formulas, the, the Bacamolamas, the like, yeah, like you're saying, the, the Ardennes kind of riders or the or the former GC riders. Uh, can't, be, can't be Molama because I've already Probably picked them close. for the fantasy. See, I, so. I, I was kind of hoping that Valverde would just like ship off 15 minutes and then he could go for a stage like this because that would have been fun. But instead, he's just sitting in like tenth or whatever, and that's that's less interesting. Well, less interesting, but much more points. Many more points. Many more points. And that's the problem with this stupid point system: is it 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 does reward it rewards going to weird races, and it rewards like really defensive riding for minor GC positions. And that anyway, we we. Sorry, dear listeners. Not, not <laughs> going down fault. the rabbit hole. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not doing it today. What about Sunday? What does Sunday look like, Johnny? Stage fifteen, one hundred seventy-seven k from Riverolo Canavesi to Cogne. My Italian is far from perfect, but that will do. Um, the first half is sort of a gentle rise up to two category one climbs, uh, both around twelve to fourteen k in length. 
average gradients of 7%. And then the final climb up to the finish line is... I was reading that correctly. It's 22K, which is why I sort of paused there because I was like, that's long. It's average gradient of 4%. So it's a, it's a backloaded GC day. And with the rest day on Monday, hopefully we'll get some, some racing up to the summit finish. Don't want to tempt a, a boring Sunday stage, but hopefully we'll get a Richard Carapaz kamikaze effort. Maybe. Probably not. I, th- I think we're in for a bit of a snooze fest, to be honest. Like you've got those yeah. two two cat ones, not earlier in the stage, but you know before a summit finish. But then the summit finish, it's a it's a really weird profile. Mm. It's like you know it gets shallower as it uh, gets higher. The steepest sections are at the bottom, which doesn't lend itself to attacks. Um, and then the you know the higher up the slopes they get, the shallower the, the gradient gets. You you seen that um, Saturday stage has got three and a half thousand meters of climbing. It's actually a, not a bad day, considering this the Sunday stage is tough, but it's not one for a super an aggressive finish. Is Saturday a day where we could see an ambush? Do you reckon? Like like Ineos just go out and drill it from the word go. Is that it? Think that wouldn't be a bad sort of move. I wouldn't have thought because, like, yeah, Sunday is difficult, but it's not. You're not gonna be able to hit that last climb and blow things to pieces because it's not steep enough to do that. It's long enough, but it's not steep enough. Apart from the the, the first three four k. I think that yeah, I think that's that's somewhat likely. Uh, at least that someone will try, or that maybe we see someone who's sort of sitting sitting in that like five to seven minute range, try to pull themselves back up into the into the real sort of contention, uh, kind of like Guillaume Martin has, has has tried to do a couple different times. I think that 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 could happen. I think the only chance for Sunday to be interesting is the fact that Monday's a rest day, so they know that they they know that they're going to get to to rest the legs a bit the following day, and so emptying the tank has less risk associated with it than it would otherwise. Uh, but yeah, I, I, really strange climb to do a, a finish on. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe it'll be better when we actually see it, but it, it's just, according to the profile, it's a weird one. That that was why Blockhouse worked so well, because it was such a tough climb, so steep, and it was a day before a rest day. Whereas this one, it's a day before a rest day, which would usually allow GC riders to be a bit more adventurous, but... Given that this the gradients aren't so steep near the top, you know, if you make an attack, you're always liable to being countered because you know there's there's just more riders that can follow when the gradient isn't as, as steep as that, and you know, riding together works much more than on steeper slopes as well. So, I think you're you're you could be onto something though, Shadi, in that you know Saturday stage, definitely you know it it. It, it looks like a classic day. It looks like a breakaway day, but the GC riders will be nervous. I, I don't think we'll see any of us, you know, dry, dr- drill it from very early on in the stage. They might control it, but I don't think they'll, you know, aggressively attack from very on in the stage, especially given that the weather is supposed to be, I think, 31 degrees Celsius, um, which is hot uh, for anybody who works in Fahrenheit. Um so yeah, the, you know, just in those sorts of conditions, for a team to really go out on a limb on a stage that may or may not work out, seems like a you know that it, it's a risk too far. But 
you know, if, if there's somebody in baller with that those weather conditions, we could certainly see the other teams combine together to eliminate a rider on a day where they thought might have thought otherwise. Well, you know, th- this is a day we just have to get to the finish. Pro- probably to sum all that up, probably a day you could lose it, but not a day you could win it. <laughs> how, how do you think the the closeness of GC gaps will affect it? Does it does it make it less likely because everyone will just be like, right, this isn't the day that's gonna define the GC battle, so let's just get through this one and then the real showdown is those last few days in the mountains I think the the closeness has really snookered Guillaume Martin because he now he, he doesn't have the time to make up because he's already made up the time so what does he do <laughs> it's like his tactic is completely he has he has thwarted his own tactic uh, by being so successful in the breakaway last week um, but as for the other GC riders I think it comes back to again you know it's a day you could lose it rather than a day you're hoping to win it and with them being so close together, nobody's going to be really want, you know, hoping to or willing to to put themselves out in the limb, really go for broke on on Saturday's stage. Um, you know, it, 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 again, if somebody's in, in difficulties, you could see the other teams, you know, for their mutual benefit, interested in, in pushing it on. But um, I just there could be something else, you know, in the stage that all the directors will be going into it and you know granular detail tonight they'll have their velo viewer they'll have you know they 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 will know much more about this stage than we do sitting here now and you know there could be some sort of tactic that they can play you know often that's the wind or you know weather or whatever it doesn't look like there's that much of that tomorrow from what we can see here but uh you know one of those claims could be you know could have a crazy descent off it or something that Carapaz is willing to take on and and perhaps all the riders aren't you know without that that could be a key difference there you know Bardet is usually a good man for descending attacks and with him gone you know that that's that's slightly less of an option now but um let's hope so because last week the Saturday and Sunday stages were fantastic and made for great watching hopefully we get more of the same this week I like how sport, so much of sports media is spent sort of like making everyone really excited about what's, what's, what's happening within the sport. And we've just sat here and been like, well, prepare to be disappointed, which invariably will mean <laughs> Sunday will be the best sporting action that the world has ever seen. So that's a good job from all of us. I think it'll be great. I think Vincenzo Nibali is going to attack on the downhill on Saturday and take... 90 seconds back and put himself back in the GC hunt. And he'll have Guillaume Martin on his wheel and push yep. him into the pink. Oh, don't get me too excited. Who, who was on Nibali's wheel last year when their GC kind of disappeared because he attacked on a descent coming from nowhere on GC and they crashed behind him? Or was it one of the... I think it was a... I think it was a... Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a GC leader. It was a teammate of one of the GC leaders. Mm. But, oh, it was the Astana. Yes. Guy. Yeah, and they all fell down. Because it was raining. Yeah. Anyway, that's what we have to look forward to. Make sure you watch the racing this weekend. And we'll be back on Monday with another episode of the Cyclotips podcast to talk about whatever happened and what else is coming up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.